I love the notion you were talking about, like people now try to treat their dogs like it's a baby. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's my baby, you know, and they try to... <laughs> Every single dog was bred for a purpose. Whether that purpose was being a good pet or an ugly pet, like a pug, you know? Sorry for the pug lovers. They're ugly. <laughs> you know, like those dogs were bred for a purpose. And it, you know, it was a human purpose, not a, you know, but like every other dog out there is, was bred for some reason. And they make a dog for your lifestyle. You said that each dog breed has two dog breeds, pet and a canine, to like not neuter them too young yeah. because then they need that testosterone to build their joints and stuff like that. Exactly. So like will neutering like affect like if they mark a lot or not? Yeah, yeah. Uh. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Totem Podcast. I'm your host, Monico Carrillo, and of course, we got here Eric. I'm your other co host on the show. But, guys, before we get started, like always, remember that we are on all the podcast streaming platforms like YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that. So, give us a follow on there on, on YouTube. Make sure to give us a subscribe. If you guys like the guests, the, the guests we're having, excuse me, uh, just give this video a thumbs up and share it around with other people that you might. Uh, think finds conversations like this interesting, um, but with that, guys, welcome to the podcast where an act of rebellion is to question. Cool. So today's guest is great guest, important guest. We love the the whole motto stuff that he has. Just we met him a couple a couple months ago, and he's just great, solid dude. So we're like, we we got to have him on. So wel- welcome to the show. Thank Chris. you. Thank you very much. If you don't mind, give us a brief background of like what you are, what you do, and your business and stuff like that. All right. Um, so I'm the owner of Complete Canine Training, um, founder, CEO, whatever you want to call me. Uh, I started training dogs in 2012, turned that into a business in 2015. Um, it was more of a side hustle. Uh, 2018, I went full-time with it and been running ever since. Uh, I also own an e-commerce store where I sell the canine bite suits. And uh, I dabble in some commercial real estate as well. No, that's that's cool. First of all, and you're, thank you for your service, your army, right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for service on that. Yeah, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for paying your taxes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up. No, but uh, S- super interesting though, because I mean, I have like we were talking before, like I have had my share of experiences with with dogs, and, and so has he. So it's like good to get like that other perspective of like that yeah. that people don't see like behind the scenes and all that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So so when when did you feel like because you said you started off as a hobby when did you feel like it was like you know you can you had you were onto something and you can turn it onto a business? Uh, it, within the first year of me training dogs, I fell in love with the process of training, and I've always been business minded, so it was just kind of like I love doing this, um, and I started just you know I turned it into a business in 2015, but I was training other people's dogs. And by the end of by the beginning of 2013, um, how'd you, how'd you learn how to train dogs? Or is it just it was all mentorship? So okay. I learned from guys who've been doing it for a lot longer than I have. I've worked with like world level champions. Um, I've gone to tons and tons of conferences and seminars and things just to learn the craft. And then, you know, when I felt like I had enough experience to actually like start charging people, then I did. <laughs> So, usually how it is once once you actually have the experience and people feel obligated to start paying because they're getting like too good of a service and if you're just handing it out like for free. No, it was because um, I always my my thought process. I was in the corporate world that was doing online marketing, and I fell in love with training dogs, and 
I was like, I don't want to sit at a desk all day. Right. So I started formulating a plan of like how I could turn it into a business. But I was, you know, one year, not even one year into it, you know, like that thought process was there. But I knew like I didn't have the experience to actually like Mm. make it a business and it would have fallen on its face or, you know, would have got a bad reputation right away for not having the experience to actually know how to train dogs. Like I had baseline basic knowledge. Um, which is great for basic dogs, but then you have dogs that are, you know, aggressive or reactive. And like, I didn't know how to touch those dogs yet. So, um, I was just working with like friends and family's dogs and learning little things and then going to those seminars and things like that. And then once I had enough experience and I knew how I had the concepts down, then I started charging people, um, cause I did want to see that it could be a profitable business as well before I got out of the corporate world, I was like, this will be my side gig. Can I make this work? And I put a lot of effort into it and yeah, it ended up working out. So when you, when you, uh, I like, I want to go back a little bit. Like when you were younger, you said you were always like more business minded. Mm -hmm. Like when you were young, like how were you when you were young or who'd you have like as a role model that you're just like, Hey, I kind of want to do something like they're doing or, or just to level up and be better. Yeah. So, um, my dad, and my, my mom, they've always owned businesses since I was, I mean, since I can remember. So they started out owning a service master franchise, which is carpet cleaning and home restoration stuff. Um, when I was 10 years old, they bought a blackjack pizza franchise. And at 10 years old, I started working in that franchise. By the time I was 16, 17, I was the GM of that place. So it was just instilled in me, like business was instilled in me, installed, if you will, when I was young, because um, it was part of our, our family dynamic. Yeah. So, And were you like, I mean, like getting paid like when you're like 10 years old? Because a lot of people, I'm just asking, because there's a lot of people like, they were like, if they're not getting paid and they want to be getting paid like they're young guys, but mm-hmm. it's like, what's the family business you're building? Like, so it's, or how was it for you? Like, so I got paid. I got a whole like 20 bucks a week. Okay. Um, and you're, you're rolling in dough. <laughs> At Literally 10 years old, dough. you are, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I got paid, um, yeah, by not even close to minimum wage at the time. Um, but I was only working, you know, one or two nights a week. My official title during that time, uh, all I did was answer the phones and, like, fold boxes um, and get them, like, prepped for, you know, throw pizzas in them. My official title was phone bitch, <laughs> you know. Um, cause everybody who worked there, you know, they're high schoolers or, or older. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was a little spy for my dad when he wasn't there. <laughs> Plus, you know, on the phone at 10 years old, you know, I didn't really have the, the manly voice I do now. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was, uh, I was phone bitch. I mean, not, not, not a lot of people can tell how old you are on the phone. Too. Right. So I mean, it kind of helps out. Like, yeah, I got called ma'am a lot. <laughs> ma'am? <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's funny. But I mean, that's, that's good because, I mean, like our, our dad and our mom had a, a business when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel, like you said like they paid you, so that probably incentivized you a little bit more to keep working. Yeah. Keep working hard instead of just like, you're going to stay here, keep working with like the promise of something later on. Right. Yeah, my dad never promised me, like, a part of the business or, you know, we never even had that conversation um, until I was much older. He wanted to he wanted to sell it to me, uh, but it was never he was going to hand it to me. Um, you know, I learned very young, starting, you know, probably 10, 
that I had to work for what I wanted. That whole summer, I used to be really big into paintball. So like that whole summer I worked, I saved every penny I had and bought my first paintball gun. And like when you buy that first thing that you really want with your own money, you're like, mom didn't provide this for me. Dad didn't get it for me. I got it for myself. Like that was self-fulfilling in a way that like just motivated me. Like I can, I could do anything, right? I can get whatever I want. I just have to work for it. Yeah, it's like that appreciation. It's like I still remember when I bought like my first truck too. Like I thought yeah. it was, it was a. I still remember it was a white '97 Dakota extended <laughs> cab, and I got in like I was just like every time I could, I was just like cleaning it and stuff. Yep. And a week later, it got wrecked and totaled. So uh, <laughs> I was, I was my dreams were shattered. How long that lasted? <laughs> it was a week, so I was just like shit, you know. But yeah, when you get something, you just appreciate it yep. that much more. Yeah, especially if you work for it. If you're handing stuff, and I mean. Every time I've been handed something that I wanted that I didn't work for, I've never appreciated it as much as if I have to bust my ass for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never the <laughs> so that different feeling. Yeah. yeah. So you, you didn't want to go into the, the pizza business? No, I didn't. Um, I thought about it for a while. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, to get offered that when you're younger, I mean, that's that's a pretty good offer to, yeah, to, be, I think to I was, be able to have your own like little franchise. Yeah, I think I was 22, 23 when my dad offered it to me. Um, and then I think he offered it to me when I was 24 and 25 too. <laughs> um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. Um, I spent, you know, about 10 years working, um, for them and it was just, it didn't feel right. And I, I knew, I knew the ins and outs of that business pretty well, but it was, wasn't calling to me by any stretch and I was just like nah I'm gonna pass on this the opportunity is good um, but I'm gonna do my own thing and at that time it was I was doing marketing um, did you get into the marketing after you came back from the like w- once you were done with army uh, stuff? no I was still doing it while I was in so I was National Guard I wasn't active duty okay so I was still here and um, di- living a dual life essentially okay. <laughs> um, so I was able to go to school, kind of work full time, and and do army as well. Oh, okay. So. So you're you're busy then. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was. Um, but yeah, I got into marketing. Uh, I want to say about 21, 21, right right before I turned twenty two, I think. Which probably helped you, like now that I don't know what you were doing in the marketing, but probably helped you develop like your business now, right? If I, if I didn't have that experience, my business would not be where it is. I know for a fact. Um, all I did was small business marketing. So essentially, you know, take any, any small business, mom and pop shop or, you know, online e-commerce store, whatever it might be. And I was putting ads on Google. I was helping them build their websites. I was optimizing, you know, for this, that, and the next thing um, and getting their online presence up. So without that experience, there's no way, because I would have been like every business owner that I was already helping, they're like, I have no idea what I'm doing in this space. I just know how to make pizza. I don't know how to market myself online. I know how to do plumbing, but I don't know how to like get business from, from people searching on Google. So I went from, I know how to market really well, but I have a somewhat idea of how to train dogs. So I you know, took about a year building my website before I even launched it. 
And then once I was up to snuff on my dog training skills, then I launched my website, which was already optimized and had all that stuff built into it. So it was ready. So once you yeah. hit the once you hit the marketplace, like you were going like like nine hundred miles an hour on yeah. the marketing right out the gate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Was that kind of hard to handle at the beginning? Like all the all the business new business coming in and dealing with new people's dogs that you had no prior experience with. It was it was hard balancing the because I was because st- it was a side hustle. It mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't my full time thing yet. So it was hard balancing my my full time job and my part time passion. So uh, that was the hardest part. I had turned down more clients. Um, then I, I can't even count because a lot of it was skill-based. Like some people call me and they'd have dogs that were out of my skill level and I just, I was honest about it. Like I can't handle that. Um, and then other times it's like, that doesn't line up with my schedule. A lot of it didn't line up with my schedule. So, you know, working full-time and then trying to do something part-time, I didn't have much time for sleep. Yeah. <laughs> when, when was the moment that you were just like, you know what, I'm just going, I'm just going full throttle on this? Um, it was around 2017. So 2017, um, the culture at the, the company I was working for just started going in a different direction. Um, part of that was because they, they grew so fast. So when I was at the marketing company, I was employee number like 52. Not, not necessarily a small company, but I knew everybody in the building. Um, you know, I knew the CEO like on a first name basis. We actually, he has actually my football coach <laughs> in high school. So, and then when I left and, or when I kind of made my decision was the beginning of 2017, I was like, this is going to be my last year. I'm pretty sure this is my last year. There's like 450 people at the company. Damn. Um, damn. You know, so in, in, you know, roughly a five-year time frame, mm-hmm. they, they hired on about an additional 400 people. And I didn't know everybody at that point. It wasn't this, the cool culture that, you know, Got the, the like the human touch got lost. Right, a it, bit. it became corporate, and I just never vibed in that kind of environment. And so, the beginning of that year, I was kind of like, okay, I want to take this full time. I got to get a property. I got to do X, Y, and Z in order to make this happen. And then, yeah, it was like I, my final day was like January sixth, twenty eighteen, and that's the day that I went full time. So before then, were you just doing it kind of out of your house? Uh, yeah, I was doing it mainly at a local park, actually, that was like two minutes away from my house. Okay. I'd have clients meet me there. Um, we'd have whole group classes there. And I was driving around to other people's houses as well. So I would drive. Um, I mean, I, I should have, at the time, didn't care. Looking back, I was dumb. But I'd drive to, like, Denver. Then I'd drive to Fort Collins. Then I'd drive to Longmont. <laughs> you know, just to get some experience in. Um, I was also charging like 25 bucks a class. I wasn't even really? making money. I was like barely breaking even on gas. Like enough to cover the gas to get your experience level up. Right. Yeah, so the there's a net zero game for, for a while when I was learning. And uh, even when I first started charging people, it was still like I was getting more business, but it wasn't necessarily making any money at that point. Hmm. Again, I guess you kind of just learned as that as, as you kind of keep going. But you remain at the parks; it's free rent, right? So yeah, yeah, so. I didn't have to pay anything for a facility or nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, so I wanted to ask you this because I seen it on some some articles and stuff I was reading about. You says that you love to get bit. 
yeah. by the dogs. I was like, wait, <laughs> go, wait. I, I know I don't like to get fucking bit. So I was just like, uh. Yeah, so in the police canine world or personal protection dogs, um, like, we, we have to teach them how to bite, right? Yeah. So we put on the, the, the bite suit and then we teach the dogs how to actually engage properly um, with, a, with a human. So, so you teach them like where to bite them and all that? Yep. So okay. there's like five different target areas that we teach. Um, but it's more important like the actual mechanics of, of how dogs bite. Um, so naturally dogs, um, like the dogs that any, like most people have been bit by, they just get like snapped at and the dog like retreats because it's usually out of fear or the dog grabs and shakes. Well, neither of those are good things for police canines or personal protection dogs um, for a handful of different reasons. We want the dog to bite, grab, and hold, essentially, and just kind of, like, get tighter and tighter. Um, So as a decoy, right, that's what we're called when we're the guys in the suits, we're the decoys. It's our job to teach the dogs how to bite properly. Think of it as kind of like your sensei in a karate class. You know, the first thing that happens is, you know, they teach you how to make a fist, then they teach you how to throw your arm, and they're like, oh, but don't just use your arm, throw in your hips with it. So it's very similar, um, except for I can't talk to a dog. I got to show them through movements and positive feedback and things like that. So I'm just wondering, like, (laughs) how do you make them, like, bite you? Because it's like, if you tell a dog, go ahead, bite me, they're not going to, like, bite you. I mean, uh, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So we we work with high drive um, for th- for those things, we work with a specific type of dog. You're right. Every dog will not bite you. Um, but we work with Malinois, German Shepherds, Dutch Shepherds. Um, I mean, we I've worked with Dobermans. I've worked with Pitbulls. I've worked with Rotties. I've worked King Corsos. Like, the list goes on. Okay. The dogs that are good at that work have been genetically bred for um, for that work in some capacity. So, like, you look at German Shepherds and Belgian Malinois, they're both shepherds, shepherd dogs. So um, they have a genetic um, predisposition, and they're extremely high prey drive dogs. So if I want a dog to bite me, I act like a bunny rabbit, right? Cause, and then once the dog engages me, then that slowly that dynamic will shift. So I'm not a bunny rabbit anymore because criminals aren't bunny rabbits, right? They'll, they'll fight back. So that dynamic shifts over time once the dog becomes more confident so that I'm actually fighting with the dog and teaching them that they're essentially the most powerful thing and they can take on anybody. It's, okay. it's, it's uh, this thing I heard you say like on, an, on another uh, podcast is you said that each dog breed has two dog breeds. Yeah. There's like a pet and a canine. Yeah, so a pet line and a working line. So you can go grab a German Shepherd from a genetic working line um, and that dog would be more predispositioned to do personal protection or police canine work. You can also go get a German Shepherd that is from a pet line or a show line, confirmation line, and that dog will be the best, hopefully, best pet you'll ever have, you know, because all of that high drive, um, all the prey drive and, you know, kind of the attitude, if you want to call it that, or the demeanor of the dog has been bred out of them, so they you know, that that's not, that doesn't work in a family environment. Having a dog that wants to eat everything just because they're bored doesn't work in a family environment. Having a dog that's super high prey drive and you got a little baby crawling around doesn't work real well. So, um, 
you know, in my opinion, it's kind of ruined certain breeds. Dobermans in specific is the first one that comes to my mind. Um, back in the 80s, I mean, I wasn't around then, but I know guys who were, and I've seen the videos um, and heard the stories. But back in the 80s, Dobermans were badass dogs. Now, trying to find a Doberman that can actually do the work, um, it's really, really, really difficult to find a dog, a Doberman specifically, that'll, that'll engage, that'll bite, that's not just a doofus, really, because they're all kind of like goofy little puppies, even at like five years old now. <laughs> so, so that's crazy. Dobermans, is, are those almost like the ones Kevin Carr has? Have you seen his? Uh, it's like almost the, a fucking horse for him. They're like tough, they're <laughs> so yeah. small, yeah. They're tall and they have like the the pointy yeah the pointy ears. I think that's and the, and the I think those tail. are the ones he has. So. Yeah. So like if it's someone crazy. doesn't like go to like a reliable source to be able to tell them like oh this one's more for like working this is more for like a home how what's the best way for people to kind of tell? Um, or is it just like just not even. Fucking with that, just going with the reliable source. The average person, I don't think, is going to be able to tell. Um, if you're like, you want to go buy a dog and you want a working line dog, um, I mean, you could probably find somebody who's advertising working line kennel, like a working line whatever. Um, if that dog is truly a working line, this is a different story than, you know, advertising it as one. So, like, I can, I can speak from my personal experience on this one. My first German Shepherd that I bought... I was like, she'll do personal protection work. Her parents are titled in sport work. Um, genetics are really strong on this dog. You know, I did what I call high-level research, and then I went and got the dog. Everything was great, and then she didn't. She didn't do any other work. She was a great pet, though. She was mm -hmm. phenomenal. Um, and then as I've grown in in knowing the industry and breeding and genetics and things like that, I've you know. If I wanted a personal protection dog, or if you guys wanted a personal protection dog, you came to me, first thing I'm going to do is actually test for certain things, like a high prey drive. Like That's like a prerequisite to having a personal protection dog. It has nothing to do with the, if the dog will protect you or not. It's if I can actually train that dog to even bite, right? If it's got even motivation to, to bite a tug toy. Because um, if that doesn't exist, why are they going to bite a human? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So... Um, the average person, I don't think, can can accurately judge pet line versus working line because they don't really know what they're looking for. Um, and I was that average person, then I dove into it. But finding a reputable trainer who works with working dogs um, and having, like, I know that I'll go out and I'll evaluate dogs. We do it constantly. People always want personal protection dogs. Like, oh, I found this puppy. I want to see if he'll be a personal protection dog. Did you already buy him? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's your first mistake. First mistake. <laughs> but I'll still test your dog and we'll see what's going on, right? Um, I would say 98% of the dogs that I test that people have brought to me do not pass my tests for, really? for personal protection. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, yeah, they're turning, like, I guess, softer in a sense, I guess, dogs now? Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. It's just... You know, the percentage of people who want a personal protection dog versus the percentage of people who want a pet is drastically different. You know, 98% of people want a, want a pet, maybe 2%, maybe 2% <laughs> would want a personal protection dog. Um, so from a business standpoint, what does it make sense to breed? The right? Pets, you're yeah. you're going to make pets. Yeah. I, I love the notion you were talking about, like, 
people now try to treat their dogs like it's a baby. Yeah. They're like, oh, it's my baby, you know, and they try, <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's that, that, a that was, dog. That was another problem we had with with the <laughs> first uh, first dog. Yeah. Because what, what kind of what we we had a we had a pit bull. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the reason I asked you for like the like where to get him from is because we pretty much just got him from like a family friend, and they were like, oh yeah, I mean he's he's all right. We're like, okay, cool, we trusted him, and then. Um, that was your first mistake. That was that was first mistake. <laughs> check, check number one. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then we got him, and then I mean, he was like, he he like kind of grew up normal or mm-hmm. whatever, and then as like we like he got older and stuff, he got started getting a little bit more like aggressive. Yeah. And then at one point, uh, he even attacked like my girlfriend, mm-hmm. like straight up like started like barking at her and like growling at her and stuff, um, and that was like when she was trying to discipline him. Mm-hmm. So then. We went to like a dog trainer, got him trained supposedly, um, and like he would follow like the commands and stuff. But then like a couple, of, couple, I think it was a couple weeks after that, he like attacked me, mm-hmm. so, and I was like, oh shit! I, mean, I think this is probably a point of like t- we're we're past the point of return, so that we had to like just get rid of him before shit went further and got somebody got hurt. Right. Um, it's a perfect uh, clip it out, perfect <coughs> clip for you. you. You didn't come to ca- complete canine training. <laughs> that's why. That, that's why, right. Um, and one of the things, too, is, like, we weren't on the same page. Like, she would baby him a lot, and then I would try to, like, discipline him a little bit more. And I think that's one of the things that kind of didn't work out well because I think, like, the, the, the owner should be, like, on the same page. Well, it's like giving a kid mixed signals, right? Yeah. It's, it, the kid doesn't know what to really do. Um, so pit bulls specifically are a very interesting breed. Um, they're not nanny dogs, right? Everybody wants to like put this shit out there, and then that's exactly what it is. Like pit bulls are nanny dogs. They look at this picture from the '60s with a pity and a baby. Like that's that's what my my girlfriend saw. She's like, oh, he's yeah. Fine. And I was like, I don't know. That's not reality, right? So we've already kind of talked about like there's two two breeds within every breed. Right, and so pit bulls are kind of mixed breeds anyway, for the most part. Um, now there are like some no BS like legitimate pit bulls out there, but <clears throat> that's for all my East Coast guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's there's kind of two breeds in every breed, right? We have like a working line, and we have the um, the pet line, right? So there's certain things though that are genetic tendencies that are really difficult to breed out. Um, or they just won't be bred out. So if you look at the like genetic lineage of pit bulls as a whole, and it's still going on like today, the pit bulls were, were, were bred at some point for fighting, right? So for fighting dogs, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of those, uh, traits still exist in how the dogs are structured physically, um, their demeanor and things like that so when you're looking at like pit bulls specifically everybody like wants to think that they can be like you might have the sweetest pit bull in the world but genetics dictate how that dog is going to act it's not necessarily all of the training it's genetics so genetics kind of works like light switches um, that only turn on you can't turn a genetic light switch off once it's activated so um, and I don't know about your dog specifically, right? I didn't work with them. Mm-hmm. This is just kind of general information. So if I have a pity, that, and I know that at some point 
in the lineage of that dog, it was bred for fighting. Maybe that dog has never had a bad interaction with another dog a, a day in its life. Not, not a single one. Super friendly with other dogs, does everything, no problem. That f- then they have one bad interaction and that fighting switch gets flipped. Now that dog is either going to do two things. One is going to be fearful of every other dog because I've had a bad experience and dogs learn through experiences. Or two, they're going to be fearful of every, of every other dog and they're going to fight to the death because that f- switch has been flipped on. Um, I can speak on that because I have that pit bull. <laughs> oh, okay. um, Do you have them now? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's only with certain dogs, which is kind of interesting. Um, she, my, my dog had a bad interaction with a female and um, a female shepherd. And anytime she is sees a female shepherd, it's game on. They have to, zero interaction. Um, like it's on site and they it, yeah goes. it's like on site it's going down. Wow. Um, what if it's a male shepherd? Uh, if it's a shepherd type dog, it's on. Yeah. Um, but it happens specifically with a female, and if it, if the dog is her same size or bigger, it's it's gonna go down. Um, and she get like, I'm a dog trainer. <laughs> I know how to train dogs pretty well. It's genetic. I can't untrain that. I have done everything in my power that I have learned over the years to eradicate that behavior. If she's on leash with me, no problems whatsoever. I can have her walking right next to my shepherd, no issues, they're both on leash, they understand that there's rules. If I take her off leash, it's a fight. So I can manage the genetics through training tools but if there's no training tools in the, and there's no like boundary in place, genetics takes over and she does what she wants to do. So, so one, like, I don't have an issue with pit bulls. I have an issue with pit bull owners because they don't understand the genetics of their dog. They don't understand what they actually have. Mm-hmm. Like their dog could be the sweetest dog in the world. One bad interaction can change that forever. And like I said, I don't know about your dog specifically, um, but like hearing your story, I'm like, there. I can kind of guess what might have been going on. There's um, something in there, huh? Yeah, but it, it's not a. It's probably not a behavioral issue. It's more of a genetic issue that needs to be managed <coughs> with training. Um, and that's a big thing that people like. Oh, my dog's just got bad behavior. Well, it could be genetically bad behavior that we can never really get rid of, but we can manage it and make it livable for everybody. But you got to have a trainer who understands that and can mm-hmm. teach that to the owner, not just uh, try and train something out of a dog that can't be trained out of them. Yeah. Yeah, and then with us, they were like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll schedule, like, a follow-up. But then they never really followed through. Right. Like, schedule something with us. So, so I mean, we try to do this the best we could, like, on our own. But then it's not the same thing as, like, if you have, like, the actual trainer, they're like, oh, you're doing this, but actually just change this little thing. Like, exactly. And stuff like that. Yep. Another clip. <laughs> but come to me I'll help you out <laughs> next time I'll for sure because yeah, I mean now we did like complete 180 we got two little Yorkies nice one, a, one of them is like the calmest guy he does, he won't even play with toys but the other one who like attack the toys yeah and that's kind of what you're saying like one of them's going to be more prone to just be yep. more more hyperactive and the other one's just 
Yeah, no. one's gonna be like every dog was bred for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Every single dog was bred for a purpose. Now, like whether that purpose was being a good pet or an ugly pet, like a pug, you know. Sorry for the pug lovers. They're ugly. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> hideous. They're, yeah. Um, you know, like those dogs were bred for a purpose, and it, you know, it was a human purpose, not a, you know, but like every other dog out there is, was bred for some reason. Um, you know, if and they make a dog for your lifestyle. I said that I think on every podcast. What do you mean they make a dog for? If you're, you know, the guy who wants to game all day and sit on the couch, don't get a Malinois. Right? That dog is going to run circles around you for fun because he has nothing better to do. And you're not going to get up and give him what he needs. Um, get an English bulldog who wants to lay on the couch with you all day. You know, if you're going to go hiking all the time, don't get an English bulldog. He will not want to go hiking with you. He will want to lay on the couch. Get a lab. Get a Malinois. Get a shepherd. Get something that's going to be active and work with you. And that's how like on the owners, not the dogs. Like, yeah. The dog doesn't get a choice. Yeah. Right? Um I've, I, I see it a lot where people get the dog that doesn't suit their lifestyle, and that's why they're in for training. I'm like, okay, well, we can do a lot of training, but this dog needs an outlet. Um, or like a lot of people, the, if they get a dog that's high energy and then they live in an apartment where the dog can't go out at all, he's like, oh, I couldn't walk him today, so the dog's just like in a little square. He's trapped. He's going crazy. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, – so w- we went to a, a training seminar a couple – a couple months ago, I took the whole team there, and one of the instructors said something like that has kind of stuck with me. But like, give let your dog be a dog, like let your dog be the dog that they are. So if you have, you know, um, you got a, a Malinois or a Shepherd, what they love to chase and bite shit. So let them cut them loose in the backyard and let them go, you know, like or or take them to a park or take them someplace where you can have control over them, but also like you're not really controlling them. You're letting them be a dog. Let them do their dog thing. Um, just, and that's gonna like satisfy one of their just genetic needs of being a, a damn dog, right? If you're constantly, you know, up your dog's butt, telling them, oh, you can't chase that rabbit, you can't do this, you can't do this, like that's, what, what kind of life is that for your dog? Why even have a dog? Right, um, it's the same thing, you know, if you've got you know, English Bulldog, you're trying to get to go on hikes all the time. Like, he's not going to want to do that. Let him be a dog. Let him nap on the couch. Let him do what he wants to do. If we're always micromanaging, like, you don't want to be micromanaged all the time, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> so don't do it to your dogs. Um, and if you, are in, if you are doing it to your dog, how can you find a way to better give your dog what they need so that you don't have to micromanage them because you have to micromanage them because you're not giving them something that they need. They need freedom to go run around and you're not giving it to them. They're going to find a place to do it or they're going to do it in a, they're going to have that outlet in an unproductive manner on your couch cushions or your, you know, kitchen table or your little baby who's running across the room. Like they're going to take it out in some way because they are so like pent up. So just take them to the park, let them run around, send them after the squirrel. He's not going to get them. Maybe. You know, <laughs> but like, I don't think he got something. I, I don't think he's going to catch him. <laughs> right. But let him express that drive. Let him be a dog and give your dog a better life because of it. And it'll make your life easier, too, because he's not going to he's going to be like, oh, someday, you know, we might go out to the park tomorrow and get to chase squirrels. So I'm not going to eat the couch today. <laughs> Perfect. 
and again, I feel like it falls on the owners, like being responsible and understanding what kind of dog you have exactly. and what you need to do to be able to like actually keep them like under control, I guess. Yeah, it's not even trying to keep them under control. It's just giving them the best life that they can, mm-hmm. right? Like my dog gets to run around the backyard all day long if he wants. He comes inside, guess what? He lays down and goes to bed. I'm like, perfect. Tired dog is a good dog. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on some of, like, the, the training techniques? I've seen people use, like, the prong collars or the shot collars. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, oh, retractable leashes are bad. You should get, like, a regular tight leash. Yeah. So um, we're uh, the training methodology I use is balanced training. So that means boiling it down to there's consequences for your behavior. There's both good consequences and there's bad consequences. So you do something wrong, there's going to be a negative consequence. You do something right, there's going to be a positive one. So we use prong collars, we use e-collars. Shock collars are from the 70s. Technology has come a long way. (laughs) We don't shock our dogs anymore. Uh, We stimulate them with electricity, but it's not a shock. So I always clear that that up every time I hear it. Um, So I guess what's the, I mean, because I don't know. So what's the difference? So... um, so a shock collar, right? If, if people want to talk in, in that, what do you, what does your mind go to when you hear shock? It's going to hurt. Like a taser. Right, yeah, like a taser. I'm sticking my finger in an outlet. Like it doesn't feel good mm-hmm. at all, right? It hurts. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't cause pain to the dogs we train. However, we will give them a stimulation that gets their attention that is uncomfortable so that mm-hmm. I can bring their attention back to me. So... A shock collar, stick your finger in an outlet, right? An e-collar, which is what we're using now. Think of a TENS unit that you put on your neck or anywhere, right? If you've ever been to a chiropractor or massage and they're like, hey, you could use a TENS unit, physical therapy. It just kind of pulsates your muscles, but it doesn't hurt unless they turn it up real high. That's what an e-collar feels like. Okay. Mm. Um, with an e-collar, I put one on my arm. I can't feel it till it's at a level 16 which they go from zero to a hundred, the ones that we use. There's a bunch of different ones out there, but the ones we use, zero to a hundred. At a level 16, that's when I can start to feel it. Start to feel it, not like, ah, that I feel that. It's like, I think I feel that. Mm. Most dogs that we work, work um, in a range from level four to 10. By the time we're done with training, that's the levels we're working at. So, so I can't even less I can't even feel it, but they're like they wow. understand the communication. Oh, okay. okay. It is a communication tool, it's not a punishment tool. Same thing with prong collars. It's not a punishment tool because you did something wrong. I'm you know, snapping the leash on you. I am trying to communicate to you, trying to get your attention. Um you can use both of those tools incorrectly though, and trainers <laughs> do where it is a punishment tool and they're using it to cause harm. But that's like, that's the problem. People see people use the tool incorrectly and they want to, they want to disavow it for everybody else. Right? Like guns is a good example. Like, Oh, every gun owner is a bad, is a bad person because certain gun owners are bad people. They're not trained properly. Right. Or they're using it for bad shit. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same thing with dog training, right? We see some dog trainers and they're the ones who get put on the news. Right? This dog trainer is abusing this dog with a pinch collar. Let's ban pinch collars. Why don't we ban that dog trainer? Because he's the asshole. Mm-hmm. The tool, if I put it on this table, it's not going to do anything, right? Let's put that collar on that owner. See how he likes Yeah, it. and let's, <laughs> let's do that. But then watch me use a pinch collar, and the dog will be like, oh, I understand. 
that's um, not that bad. I pull if I pull out my pinch collar with my dog, he gets amped. He's like, "What the hell are we gonna go do? Let's fucking work!" Oh really? Yeah, he gets okay. super excited because okay. it's a communication tool. It's a way we communicate better. Pinch collar was designed to replicate the way that dogs communicate to each other. So how do dogs communicate to each other? They nip at each other, right? So mm-hmm. the pinch collar is simulates a little nip depending on the pressure that you apply, like you would be getting from, you know, mama dog and as a puppy or my play buddy, when I get too rough, he get oh, okay, get it, you know? Um, but it's a communication tool. It's not a punishment tool. It can be used as one, but it shouldn't be under 98% of circumstances. There's a couple things out there that, yes, the dog needs <coughs> to be, like, actually punished, and that's not okay. If you come up to leash at me and you're trying to bite me in the face, you're going to learn that that's not okay. That's unacceptable. Just like, you know, your parents probably did you, right? There's certain yeah. things that mm-hmm. you're uh, getting a finger wag, and there's other things where you're like, okay. Backhand. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, I get it. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> So it's kind of the same concept. Um, so tools allow us to actually train dogs appropriately, in my opinion. They can be used incorrectly. And there's people out there who do. But the people who are training dogs and have successful businesses and that are serving their communities by training dogs properly and informing owners use the tools in the proper way. And there's a lot more of those than there are the people who are using them wrong. So, so what about with, like, is there a difference training dogs if they're neutered or not? No. So it, it That's be- a myth. <clears throat> okay. Like, a neutered dog is going to be calmer or this thing? No. Like, it happens in maybe, like, 10% of dogs, like, where the males get neutered and then their demeanor changes. But for the majority of it, I've never seen neutering truly affect dog behavior on a grand scheme. Oh, because I used to have a dog. He was a husky. He was many years ago, and he was pretty crazy. You know, he was mm-hmm. all amped up. He had a lot of energy. But then uh, we neutered him because we're like, he's so he can maybe chill a little bit, and he got worse. Yeah. So I was just <laughs> like, like right? "Fuck you, dude!" Yeah. Just, <laughs> I see how it is. Chop my balls off, like you know, yeah. game on. But it was worse. So I was just like, uh, like yeah. So I was thinking, was it like that thing? Like it flipped the switch. Like he was already wired to do those things, or I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. No, I mean, I can't speak on that specifically. Every dog is going to react to things differently. Um, but for the majority, like, if I was to do an aggregate of all the dogs I've trained that have been, you know, not neutered or neutered, or the owners are like, we got the dog neutered after training, and there's, like, no demeanor change for the most part. Maybe, like I said, maybe 10% of dogs where that actually makes a difference. One, one thing that I have seen is, like, to, like, not neuter them too young yeah. because then they need that testosterone to build their joints and stuff like that. Exactly. So, so like, will neutering, like, affect, like, if they mark a lot or not? Um, that is the one thing I would say that I have seen neutering make a behavioral change in a dog um, if you get it before they actually start marking. So if a dog starts marking before they're neutered um, and then you neuter them to stop marking, it may or may not work. But if the dog never starts marking and then you neuter them, they probably won't mark. Because it's already, like, a habit building this part of it is a habit but I, don't, I mean I, I don't know the science I'm not going to try and speak on it <laughs> but it has something to do with testosterone and territory I'm going to broad stroke that one <laughs> yeah okay what's, what's like the biggest like problem or, or reason people come to you is it just for, for general just obedience or is it like 
my dog's being aggressive. I need to tone it down, or my dog's not doing what what he should be doing. Is it usually someone had a bad experience, or they bring you like a really small puppy and want them just to? So we we kind of see both sides of that. So we get a lot. We we promote this right. Um, having a good solid foundation with a young dog will create a solid foundation for the life of your dog. So we we actively market to new dog owners because. I know that if you get your dog into training sooner rather than later, you won't have the problems that people experience with dog ownership um, when you don't do the training earlier. Um, You also become a better dog owner because uh, we teach you how to be a steward for your dog um, on so many different levels, on how to interact, how to communicate appropriately, how to set boundaries in the home. Like We kind of give you the playbook on dog ownership when you come to us with a puppy even if it's not your first dog, you're still going to get the spiel. Like I have clients who've brought me four or five puppies. And I'm like, yep, we're still going to go over this again. <laughs> they probably forget a lot of it too. Yeah. You get, you know, your dog gets older and you're like, yeah, he's good. I don't got to worry about those things. Why? Because we instilled it really young. <laughs> mm. Then we have the other side where we have a lot of dogs that come in for what we call behavior modification. So behavior modification is just bad behaviors that isn't necessarily tied directly to training. It could be aggression. It could be resource guarding. Um, it could be reactivity. And reactivity is not necessarily um, a, a negative, like a negative reaction, but it's an unwanted reaction. So you see the dogs when you're walking like at the park and the dogs are just like going crazy because they like want to say hi and their tails are wagging. They're like, I want to go say hi to that person. Well, that's reactivity. And you also have the other dogs who see another dog and they're like, I'm going to eat that dog. Well, that's, that's negative reactivity. It's not necessarily aggression. Um, and there's a difference between reactivity and aggression, although they show very similarly. Um, true aggression, there's not a whole lot of dogs out there that are truly no bullshit aggressive um, that will come up and smoke your dog for no reason. There are some, not a whole lot, um, or, or people for that matter. Most dogs won't engage a human. Even the ones who sh- look like they're going to, they won't. Um, but reactivity presents, especially if the dog is fearful of another dog, they get hackles up, big barks, all that. Well, they're saying, hey, don't mess with me because I'm really scared. <laughs> <laughs> they're not saying that second part, though. It's they're like putting the, on the front. It's like mm-hmm. that video. There's two dogs barking at each other, mm-hmm. and then they open the gate, and then they're both just like, they both stop. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, but we, those are the issues that we see. We, we get a lot of puppies we get it for foundation work and then we get a lot of behavior modification for issues like that and then the the people who bring us just like dogs that need basic obedience with no behavior issues um i love those clients <laughs> because it makes my job easier um but i wouldn't say it's a majority of people most people have some sort of behavioral issue that that's why they're reaching out to us is there like a certain age that's better to start training or is it just the sooner the better um, ideally for me, I love getting puppies at like 14 weeks old. They're old enough to be through some of their fear periods. They've got a little bit of life experience and they might've developed some bad habits, like not like truly, truly bad habits, but maybe like they're chewing on your socks or something like that. Oh, you know? your but, yeah. Just like little bad habits that are easily correctable. Um, but they have life experience. Puppies that are eight weeks old. They don't have any experience other than being with mom. So they've had no freedom, um, and mom has done all the corrections and everything for us. So bringing an eight-week-old puppy into training isn't ideal. 
Um, 14 weeks for me is like the sweet spot because the dog is just old enough to like pay attention for just long enough. We can get some good reps in. We can start teaching you some like foundational rules and things like that. But anything after 14 weeks we can work with. I wouldn't advise bringing your like 12 year old dog in for training, not because they can't learn, but the investment for the, for the dollar, right? How long is your dog going to live? And I'm very real with, with my clients and everybody. It's like, your dog's 14 years old. He yeah. can barely walk. I don't think investing four grand into his training is a wise decision, but I'm not going to tell you no. Maybe we can do some one-on-ones to make you know your life a little bit easier, but you should have come in like 12 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but sooner rather than later, for sure. If you're having dog problems, get your dog into a trainer. Get them into some sort of program so you can start working on them earlier. It's like I did say in my other podcast that I've done. We're trying to undo bad habits. If there are three years of bad habits, like that's three years of work that we're trying to undo in a couple of weeks um, in a board and train. Uh and if it's 12 years of bad habits, it's 12, like, what's easier to do? I'd rather do three years than 12 years. Yeah. You know? Um, so it's the sooner the better, but not before 14 weeks. That's my preference. That's, okay. That is crazy. So, so then if I wanted to get another dog, what would your, like, recommendation be? Like, do I go to you first to kind of help me choose, like, the right breeder or, like, so I can get, like, a more of a pet one than a, than a working one, if that's what I want? And then what, it, what would be, like, the process after that? So um, we do some brokering for people. We'll get them trained dogs. We get green dogs, which is just young dogs, right, that don't have any training really. Um, but if you want dog advice on what dog to buy, like, more than happy to answer those questions for you and point you in the right direction. Um, I've evaluated dogs for people before. Like, I've gone with them and totally free, just like, let's go look at this dog and see if it's going to fit what you want. Um, yeah, so, but, you know, so I'll do that side of things, but then we'll talk about, like, a training program as well. Usually it's going to be, okay, you're getting, if you're getting a puppy, like, cool. At 14 weeks old, you're going to have a couple weeks to learn this dog. You're going to figure out some things. You're going to bond with them. Then you're going to bring them to us. We're going to work on all the stuff. And then we're going to teach you how to, like, really work with this dog moving forward. Um, for clients that want, like, a personal protection dog, we offer kind of two different programs with our personal protection program where um, you can buy a straight-up trained personal protection dog from us. Like, here's – we'll have a consultation about what's going to fit your lifestyle, like what type of dog you really need because there's different levels of, like, activity – that you might be doing versus you know somebody else so we're going to find the right fit for you first then we'll go procure the dog train it up to fit within your lifestyle and then hand you the keys to the ferrari um the other option is we can um work with you to find a good breeder and find a dog for you and then pretty much the same thing as like puppy stuff like we're going to go get a green dog that's not super young that can can do the work and we're going to take him in for training and We'll take him in for like 60, 30 days to start, give him back to you. We'll do some ongoing like weekly training and we'll take him for another 30 to 60 days. And then we kind of like, it's a longer program that way, um, but it, it's more involved for the owners. So it just kind of depends on where they want to navigate um, and what they want to do with their dogs and how involved they want to be in the process. Like the eight figure CEO who has no time to breathe He's going to buy a personal protection dog that's trained and ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know, 
the the army vet who's like got time busy but like really wants to develop a relationship relationship with his dog he's probably gonna do the second option that's crazy so I, I wanted to get your take on it like you were talking about earlier about like how you like micromanaging your dog like mm -hmm. transitioning that to like business because you have uh, I believe over like 25 or something like that employees right how, how, how do you I guess how do you do that to not be over their shoulder trying to micromanage because you have to kind of start delegating stuff to a point because yeah. I mean if not you're not going to grow right um, that was a tough one for me still is tough on some days uh, the biggest thing there is hiring a team that you can trust um, that's competent has integrity um, and has compassion uh, those are the three things that I look for when I, you know, am looking for people to trust. Uh, they got to be competent at their job, right? If they're not competent, I'm not going to trust you. Like, if I know you don't know how to teach that dog to sit, I'm going to be over your shoulder, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. making sure you're doing everything right. Um, they got to be integrity. They got to have integrity. So, like, if you say you're going to do something, you're going to go do it. And I don't have to worry about that. And then compassion, you know, that's just, for me, we work with animals, we work with clients who are struggling. So if you can't show the animals compassion, you can't show our clients compassion and empathy, like, I, I can't trust you to talk to clients, so I can't trust you, and I'll be over your shoulder. So for me, it's hiring the right people has allowed me to back off as a, as a micromanager, and then giving them the freedom to you, I say this to my clients with their dogs, give them the freedom to make the right or wrong decision, correct the wrong decision, and reward the right one. So I do the same thing with my clients, or with my employees, give them the opportunity, like, hey, here's your task, here's what I need you to do, go do it. I don't necessarily care how it's done with some parameters, right? But you have the option to either make this work or fuck it all up. <laughs> yeah. And depending on how it goes, like maybe you make most of it work, but you fuck a little bit up. We're gonna have a conversation about that and fix it. So the next time I don't have to worry about it, but I give them the opportunity to make the right choices, to do the right thing and then correct when I need to. And then it's kind of like they get to learn on their own what I expect, um, you know, broad spectrum. I give them, you know, parameters and things, but they really learn like to what I expect from quality of work and things like that. So stepping back is giving a lot of trust. So find people you can trust and bring them into your organization. Yeah. How, how, how like involved are you on the day-to-day -day basis? Because as you start growing, I mean, you start getting your hands in, in other stuff yeah. instead of like the, the little nitty-gritty stuff. So on the day-to-day -day operations of training dogs, I'm really not involved unless it's problem-solving difficult dogs. Um, I've got a fairly... I don't want to say we've got an interesting team. Like they're they're some of them are really well seasoned dog trainers, and some of them are a little bit newer on the end. So I jump in when um, when they need some outside perspective because I'm not working with dogs all the time, um, and I'm not working with those particular dogs. Um, so on the day to day side, that's kind of where I jump in there. But I'm, I'm still doing a lot of the operation stuff, making sure that, you know, payroll gets done and things like that. I'm kind of a kind of a financial freak on that stuff. I just got to, like, make sure everything's get everybody's getting paid right, all the benefits are getting taken out and putting in and all that. So 
Um, but right now, I'd say about 25% involved in the day-to-day stuff and 75% working on the business, not in the business. Okay, cool. So what, what could we expect for canine training the, within the next one to three years? So the goal, I have a five-year goal of having um, 48 complete canine training locations in the next five years in 15 plus states, right? So however that breaks out, but about 40 locations over the next um, five years. We are, I'm currently developing our franchise framework um, so we can get ready to franchise out as well as developing some test stores or um, proof of concept locations and getting ready to pull the trigger on some of those items. So that's in the next year, I'd say we could probably see one or two more locations popping up and the development of the franchise or pipeline. So we're going to start vetting um, and getting people interested in owning a complete canine. And then right now we're within developing the framework for this. We're we're trying to partner with a military program, which I'm actually really excited about. It's called SkillBridge and allows military, um, active duty military members who are getting out within the next six months to have the military continue to pay them a salary while they go and learn a trade or a skill. So we're trying to leverage that program to bring in new franchisees or dog trainers, it doesn't matter to me one way or the other, um, to bring them into the organization, get them trained up on not only how to train dogs, but also how to run a business. So that when these active duty members become veterans, um, the transition from veteran life to civilian life is not so difficult. Um, We employ a handful of veterans now and I've watched it change their life having a having the structure that dog training requires in their life. So I want to be able to amplify that and give other veterans the ability to transition into civilian life with grace and with confidence and without all the bullshit that a lot of us did go through. Even though I was National Guard, when I got out of the military, I lost a brotherhood. And every veteran that I've ever talked to feels the exact same way. Well, I want Complete Canine to be a new brotherhood for these guys and give them that transition um, where they're also making their own money, they're their own business owners, and they're able to thrive immediately coming out of the military instead of struggling and suffering like a lot of us have. No, that's huge. Yeah, that's important. Huge, huge congrats on that because that's, that's big. That's the thing that we see a lot of time. They come out of the military and this just in the people that I know person personally, like they, uh, like you, you, you feel like you don't have a purpose maybe. Yep. So it's like now they come back with something. So now they're, they're excited about life again. Or a lot of people don't, they're scared to get out of the military because they're like, what am I going to go do out there in civilian life? Right. Uh, and also working with dogs is therapy. It's therapeutic as hell. Um, I know that when I was, when I'm working with dogs more frequently than I'm working in the office, I'm a happier, <laughs> better person, <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, I can't be mad at you, Fifi, for for not sitting. I haven't taught you correctly, you know? But when I'm sitting in my office looking at numbers, I'm like, fucking numbers. <laughs> so. No, that's awesome. But that's a huge part of it, too, is um, 
you know, with with the amount of combat veterans that we have currently um, that don't have the support or they don't, you know, have the resources to go or the or even maybe even the desire to go get help because they don't feel like they're broken or whatever that might be. Working with animals is inherently therapeutic. So maybe it opens up some their eyes to maybe their own problems. Maybe it helps them deal with their problems. I don't care what it does. I want to help veterans, and I want to see their transition be as smooth as possible. So that's kind of the company mission, you know, from my perspective. Is in in terms of growth, that's the company mission. In terms of you know what the company mission is overall is like we want to educate dog trainers on or dog owners on how to be good dog owners and want to elevate the standard of dog training in in the United States because there's a lot of dog trainers out there as I've said earlier that just you experienced one don't do a good job so that's why we want the locations right it's two two pronged attack we want the locations so we can spread the good message of dog training mm-hmm. <laughs> and teach people, you know, the right way to train dogs and communicate with their dogs and be great dog owners. And secondarily, to help veterans reintegrate with with civilian life and have and come out stronger, more confident and excited. That's actually a really good word. Um, excited to to move forward with their life and start a new chapter. That's awesome. So, so if people want to find you, what could they do? Either to like get to know you personally, just know your story, or maybe get involved with what with what you're talking about, like helping about veterans, or if they want to just uh, train their dog. So, uh, if you want to get in touch with the company for for dog training stuff, it's completecaninetraining.com, all spelled out, all nice and long, because the shorter URL was taken. <laughs> <laughs> so, complete canine c a n i n e training.com. Uh, to get in touch with me personally, find me on LinkedIn. I don't. I have a Facebook. I don't use it. I have. I don't have an Instagram. I don't. I'm not a big fan of the social media thing. Um, but yeah, find me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email. It's just Chris at CompleteCanineTraining.com. Sweet, awesome. and then we'll put all your links down in the description too. So that Perfect. Now they can just copy and paste. They don't have to actually right. go and type it all the way in there. <laughs> Good Make luck it a little easier. <laughs> yeah. How no. did he spell that out again? <laughs> Yeah, but Chris, huge thank you for, for coming out here today. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having us, me. Educating us a little bit and you know, hopefully the, the people watching also learn a little little bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you guys for, for bringing me on. Yeah. I no. really appreciate it. I appreciate you. Salute all the stuff you're doing and all the great stuff you're doing in the community and the world. So thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah. So guys, there you have it. If you guys want to learn a little bit more about him, uh, we can put his links down in the description. Um, his website's also going to be down there, so you guys can hit him up for that. Um, but, guys, if you guys like this episode, <coughs> give it a thumbs up. Uh, if you think someone else could benefit from this episode, please share it, share it around. Because I know a lot of dog owners who would actually, I'm going to send this episode to when it comes out. Because they for sure need to pay attention to it. Um, remember, we're on all the other podcast uh, streaming platforms. Uh, so just make sure to subscribe so that, so that way you can be notified every single time we've got a new video up. But with that, guys, thank you for tuning into the podcast. Where an act of rebellion is the question. Cool. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Underrated, underrated. We the underdogs, underestimated. Yeah.